Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. And I'm Wendy Sheridan. And this week is Food Bank Week. So start donating food. I guess they're gearing up for Thanksgiving. Uh, it's also Freedom of Speech Week and Save for Retirement Week. Uh, I think I'll save for retirement then. <laughs> I think it's too late for me. I think it's too I, late for me too. <laughs> yes, we're on the work till we die retirement plans. Um, uh, October 16th is also Global Cat Day. Ooh, do you have a global cat? Yeah, I do. It's Pansy. Uh, <laughs> she's my she's my big cat. Uh, she's my chonk, chonkster, and uh, I've actually used her as a unit of weight. Like uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, this weighs like two pansies. Um, nice. I just, I had a cat that was a, uh, a a she was a good nine pound weight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah! You would use her to pick her up. <laughs> a little yeah. cat. It was for where I work out when I work out cat. <laughs> Pansy, I took her on the scale once a few years ago, and she clocked in at twenty-two pounds. So oh boy, she's a big cat. <laughs> um, it is also the sixteenth is also Fossil Day, and something I can't do anymore. But if you can and you like them, it's take your parents to lunch day. Oh. So, ah. Yeah. I didn't know that was even a thing. Um, on the 17th is National Edge Day, uh, which I find as a as a a weird name because I don't think of it as what it actually is, which is a, a day to abstain from drinking and doing drugs, right? Oh, yeah, oh, that is not what mean, I thought it might be. Yeah, me neither. your edge company else yeah yeah hey that's not a bad thing to I do all day should, either <laughs> we should do we should have we should make a day for that edge exactly <laughs> it is also pasta day and black poetry day nice. so um robin i expect to see you post something on the 17th so. oh okay that's my assignment, <laughs> that's my assignment. Yeah, i give her i'm giving robin a lot of writing assignments she's our black poet yeah yeah okay <laughs> token black poet of the oh, podcast <laughs> token black poet yeah um on the 18th is national mammography day um so go it's a reminder to go get your um breasts squished in a painful procedure uh mm -hmm. It's important. Yeah, I'm overdue. It's it's a We're, good a reminder. <laughs> <laughs> and on the 19th is National LGBT Center Awareness Day. So that's a day to uh, look for your center and maybe go visit it and be aware of it. Mm -hmm. By center, are you talking about our spiritual center or a physical no, building? A physical building. <laughs> <laughs> I will find my center. Actually, speaking of, I, I go to the William Way Center in Philadelphia, which is okay. their L LGBT center, and they have a meditation thing there. So I could find my center at, at the, the center. At the center. So. So find your center at the center. In in center city. In center city, actually. Yeah, there you go. It all works out. <laughs> oh my god how many times can we say center in a sentence yeah um okay on the 20th is national brandied fruit day i'm not sure does why any, i put that on the list but does I, anybody I, like brandied fruit i probably if it's peaches yeah. maybe <laughs> um yeah, that's like the fruit that's in fruit cake okay isn't it? isn't it i don't know i have never eaten a fruit cake uh, 
only most given people a, don't only, like it. I've only given a fruitcake the side eye, so uh, I can't yeah. tell you. Well, my husband likes it though. He'll eat brandied fruit. Okay. On the twenty-first is Reptile Awareness Day and Clean Your Virtual Desktop Day. That's a good one. Yeah, I, I you know you have to. <laughs> I could use a clean my regular desktop day too. Um, and on the twenty-second is National Color Day which um, is a day to appreciate your favorite color or any color or color on something <laughs> like your hair, maybe make it blue. Or like uh, a coloring <laughs> book that somebody has. Uh, yeah, possibly. Um, but more important to me, <laughs> the 22nd is my 26th wedding anniversary. Uh, this announcement goes out to my husband. Um, <laughs> as a reminder <laughs> yes because <laughs> we had a we had a game um our our uh yesterday playing game yesterday mary and i and a few other people and um one of our players uh forgot it was his wedding anniversary and his wife who was also playing and that got the dungeon master involved and was giving obtuse hints to him that he did not pick up on for the entire game so oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't surprised though <laughs> well i yeah he really he needed, he needed he needed he needed more hints i, I was i was thinking about asking the bard are you playing the anniversary waltz and like making my eyebrows like go up and down significantly <laughs> while looking at him but i didn't do that um so that's it for the days of the week Oh, and there's birthdays too, isn't there? Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, you know what? Whose birthday it is? It on the sixteenth. It is Angela Lansbury, who I met. Uh, I was a, a um, quick change assistant for a production of Maine, and wow. Angela Lansbury was in it. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, Flea. Who's Flea? <laughs> i'm just too late in adding that note because i knew you were going to say these are the red hot chili peppers oh okay oh, oh okay okay i i'm gonna lose my music geek cred now yeah it's because you didn't answer it's the red hot chili peppers as robin said as i was talking over her oh sorry oh, <laughs> no, okay talking over you. so now the 17th is ziggy marley's birthday happy birthday ziggy on the 18th, Zach Efron, happy birthday. Jean-Claude Van Damme, happy birthday. And <laughs> on the 19th, John Lithgow, happy birthday, John. Always like his work. His father was the artistic director of McCarter Theater in Princeton. Oh, really? Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. I did love uh, his portrayal of the president in the dramatic reading of the Mueller report. Oh, yeah. Yes. I was going to yeah. say that was pretty really cool. captured the, the essence petulance of our president. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the 20th, happy birthday to Camilla Harris and or Kamala Harris. Sorry. And Snoop Dogg. And on the 21st, happy birthday to you, Carrie Fisher. Space mom. Yeah, space mom. Well, actually, and I, I call her space sister since she's only six months older than I have I am. So she's yeah. too we're too close in age for her to be my mom. Uh, <laughs> but she's somebody's mom. Yes. 
Okay. And on the 22nd, happy birthday to Christopher Lloyd. Now, is that the actor or the producer? I believe it's the actor. I did not okay. know. The one who was, who was in um, everything. In everything. Yeah. Yes. Time, <laughs> and uh, Back to the Future. Um, and happy birthday to Shaggy. Awesome. Happy birthday, everybody. All the news we can handle up next. The week we are recording this, uh, we're recording this on October 7th, and which starts the, um, the new term of the Supreme Court. And there are a lot of uh, important cases coming up this week that affect our community. Actually, all of the, many of the Supreme Court cases that come up are very, very important. And uh, the first one that they're hearing oral arguments of is uh, Kaler versus Kansas, which asks, asks whether the Constitution allows states to abolish the insanity defense, which I find uh, is an interesting thing. Um, and then on Tuesday, they are going to be hearing um, the case on, um, it's the LGBT case, the, the woman who went, who, who transitioned and was fired from her funeral home job. Mm -hmm. oh, I don't remember hearing that about that. And, and that's going to affect not only the transgender community, it could affect women everywhere. Um, as I think some of it has to do with make, being having employers allowed to to demand that women wear dresses, you know, to enforce mm. like a dress code kind of thing. Um, and it's also going to talk about uh, if transgender people are entitled to the title nine protections, I believe is, is the, it's there. I, I think it has to do with, um, with gender and, and sexual expression under the definition of sex where, you know, in the, in the one um, amendment to the constitution that, that you're not allowed to discriminate on the basis of sex. Right. I've heard this is title seven. Title seven. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. It was an odd number. I got the wrong odd number. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that there are three cases coming up that affect the LGBT community too, that are about uh, lesbian gay cases. I'm not exactly sure of the gender of the people involved. And then one is the, the transgender right. case that you mentioned. And I, I think they're all getting their oral arguments on Tuesday though. I think. I believe so. Yeah. So, um, Interesting. Scary. And, I'm nervous about this one. So yeah, this, this and, is something and to pay attention to. Yes. Yeah. Well, we are paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. And there is the um there's the the case that's going to challenge Roe v. Wade coming up this week too, with oral arguments. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a big week, a big scary week in the Supreme Court. Um and I don't know. <laughs> So, is there anything we can do to at, support our causes? At this point, no. It's it's you you know it, there it's the lawyers are going to. I mean, I'm sure you know Planned Parenthood and all of those groups um, are using these things uh, for 
um, donation drives. But at this point, it's like it's in the hands of the lawyers in their oral arguments. And it's also then that, you know, the justices are going to go off and, and vote and write their opinions. It's kind of it's kind of out of our hands at this point, which is which is why it's nerve wracking. So let's mm. hope, let's hope our lawyers or the lawyers working for us, uh, for, for the LGBT community and the women's <laughs> The women's right to choose community. Let's hope their lawyers are are really, really good, and that the other side's lawyers kind of suck. So that's that's the, that's the energy you put out there. Okay, <laughs> I will do that. I yeah, by the time energy. everybody's hearing it, it it's going to be a moot point because this will all have happened. Um, oh well, we, we won't know the results of the something, now, right? They so won't. They won't be... tell their decisions till usually the summer, right? Mm. They sit on this stuff for a while before they announce the decisions. Oh, it'll be months. Yeah. First, they hear all the arguments, and then they think about it, and then I guess they get together and discuss things. And mm. I don't don't know that we get to we don't get to witness that. Because that what happens is then everybody writes opinions about it and there will either, you know, and then they'll, they'll make their ruling and we'll hear the dissenters with their stuff. And, and uh, we don't really get to hear about it until after it's a done deal is mm. kind of what happens. I, I know we kind of, I think we are allowed to hear the oral arguments is, is all. Um, yeah, I was thinking we'd get some at least some impressions about what happened if yeah. nothing else. So yeah, and and we can kind of and you can kind of hear, kind of get a takeaway from the justices when they ask questions of the lawyers. So we'll see. It's a it's a big week for the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. What else in the news? Uh, are we looking at well we... that we can handle. <laughs> we know that. Uh, that the president has been on a impeachment train, basically, okay. based on um, a conversation he had with the president of Ukraine, um, in which he um, was pressuring him to um, investigate Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. And now we have some text messages that I've just been trying to figure this out. I've been sort of seeing it in the news over the last few days. Um, and wasn't really sinking in in terms of like what exactly happened, but it looks as though um, there were encrypted text messages released by House Democrats uh, last week, when, by the time you hear this, and um, they reveal a plan to, like a very sort of dedicated plan to get the Ukraine's newly elected president to investigate President Donald Trump's political rivals. And that was hatched along, it was both, uh, the special representative for Ukraine, Kurt Volker, who was, he's not, he's no longer, I think he testified and this is where they got some of these messages from or all of them um, mm -hmm. based on his testimony. And um, in conversation with the U.S. ambassador to the EU, Gordon Sondland, and Bill Taylor, who is a former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine and longtime foreign service officer. So these were messages back and forth about um, connecting with Rudy Giuliani and expressing the idea that Trump didn't want to sit down with the, um, or even have a phone call with the president of Ukraine until he agreed to um, find, get to the bottom of this, the quote unquote, or find out what happened in 2016. There were a lot of phrases like that um, in their text messages back, back and forth. 
So it's pretty, you know, it's it's not it's not news except for that it's there's just more and more clarity in terms of what was happening with that. And um, this is, this is an article I'm looking at that is in Politico by mm -hmm. um, Natasha Bertrand, which really kind of goes into depth and explains a lot more about the texts that were found or, or um, you know, are that are now public, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, you know, it goes on and it's uh, nothing new, but it's just uh, more more of the same and with more uh, with more obvious clarity. Yeah, but you know what? Well, when I look at this, to me, the clarity is obvious. And yet the Republicans will look at it and see the opposite. And that's that's just so frustrating. Well, yeah, some people could say, well, it's a, well, or they could see it and say it doesn't matter. That's sort of. Like yeah. the first defense is usually like it's, you're not seeing what you're seeing, and then the next one will be <laughs> well if well, you're seeing it, but it's seeing matter. it, but it doesn't matter. But yeah. you know, but the law, you know, some people in the law will beg to differ with that. I believe so. That's that's something that's going on, and I believe there has been an order um, for Trump to turn over his tax returns, at least in but in the state already, of New York. He's already appealed it. Yeah. It's, it's an appeal. It will be an appeal it, thing. Like, but this, <laughs> I'm looking at the at the Washington Post article about it. It's got a timestamp of 11 a.m. and he must the judge must have dismissed the 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 lawsuit seeking that to block the Manhattan District Attorney's um, from obtaining eight years of his tax returns. Um, so that he must have done that like first thing in the morning. And like, I guess within minutes, his lawyers have now appeal, appeal, appeal. <laughs> <laughs> and so it goes. That's probably all the news I can handle today. <laughs> hey, folks, we're doing a new thing. A Patreon page. We have the chance to grow, but we need your help. Become a patron and we will create a better experience for you with new segments, more interviews, and exclusive content. We love this project and are excited to have you on board as part of the Leftscape team. Check us out at patreon.com slash leftscape. I'm Kevin Patterson of Poly Role Models. And I'm Alana Phelan, the polyamorous librarian. Together we write the For Hire novels, and you are listening to The Leftscape. The shape of progressive conversation. I am really excited to be talking with David Jameson. Today, David Jamison is an assistant professor of history at Edward Waters College in Jacksonville, Florida. His doctorate is in African diaspora history, and his dissertation was on slave resistance in the colonial era. So um, David has a lot to say on issues of race, and I'm really excited to that you're here. Hi. Hi, Robin. I'm glad to be here. I'm sorry about the quality of my voice. I'm going to try to speak slowly and articulately okay <laughs> nice well it is good to hear you and see you um i 
first, I'm curious about, I know that you teach a lot about the history of race, obviously, in America. And uh, I'm wondering what brought you to wanting to do this work in a formal way, because that's something that we talk about a lot about anyway in the world. So what sort of made you feel like it's something that's that central to your work? Well, um, you you know, you're familiar with my, my Facebook page um, in which I wanted to have conversations with people uh, in a casual way. And that came out of things that I was learning about as a historian. Um, when I became a historian, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily researching the history of race. Um, I was more interested in the ways in which people fought against attempts by people to control them. And once I started to really, especially write my dissertation, but really find some examples of the way that our ideas of race are constructed today, I started to get concerned because it was different from the way a lot of the people that I knew uh, in my life believed about where race comes from. So it, it seemed to me I, that there was a lot of misconceptions and, and lack of information that if I didn't tell people, people were just gonna go around not knowing and race has become such a big issue in our political climate. I've been thinking that it's just really important to inform people about it. So that's when I started doing more sort of social media activity and making that that, face, that Facebook page. So mm -hmm. that page was called David's Loving and Educational Facebook Page on Race, or is it still exists? It's a private conversation, but it's got a lot of people on it, which is which is great. Um, so why loving? What was important about that for you? Well, the the mission of that page is for people to reanalyze and maybe even deconstruct their ideas about what race is to to stop seeing themselves as different from each other and i think once they'll stop letting race be a divisor they'll be able to speak to each other from a place which i think is the natural way that people speak to each other from a place of loving so i try to I tried to create and model a way of speaking about this topic where there's no suspicion or any sort of um, uh, anticipation on my part that someone's going to be offensive or someone is trying to hurt me. I, I speak from a place where everyone who's there wants to learn about this concept that we were all born into. Honest to God, no one on the site is older than like 60 or 70 or whatever. So we were all born with this notion of race and us told about what it was. And a lot of times we're sort of told in popular culture, it's this one thing until you read the sort of, you know, history of it and then you find out, well, it actually comes from these, these other places. So I just wanted people to um, have a little bit better understanding uh, and I know that if you don't speak about these topics in a loving way, it becomes quickly a, a contentious issue because it was created out of contention. Mm. So what 
is your understanding? What, what, what are people's misunderstandings? And what is it that you want to bring to people about what race is? Well, it's so, it's so great we're talking about this now with the census coming up. Because we in the Western world, particularly America, have been conditioned to believe that there are five basic races. And those five races are enumerated on the census. We're encouraged to check off one of those boxes. And one of the, the things that I especially started getting a lot of papers when they would write about this topic, my students, they would think that the concept of race has been thousands of years old or it's gone back to the history of man or the dawn of time. People have always been talking about race and people always think that people have had these sort of, especially these categories, particularly the, the two of blackness and whiteness. And what I tried to introduce to my students is that before the slave era, in particular, there were no people who were referred to a group collectively by a color of being black or white. There were people that were um, connected with nationalities or ethnic groups, uh, Libyans and Ethiopians and, and Muslims and, and also religious groups, Christians and Muslims and things like that. But in the historical record, you, 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 you start to see people calling other people black and people calling other people white in the slave era for the purposes of the slave trade. So what I, what I tell my students is for all of human history, we have complicated our, our identity to our national origin, our ethnic group. It's been very sort of specific. And only 400 years ago did we start sort of breaking it up into these, there's a black, white, a yellow, a brown, and a red category that a, a Swedish philosopher and botanist named Johann Blumenbach started. And then another, another uh, uh, physician came along and added this sort of brown category, but they, they broke up all the world's races, all the world's people into these five groups based on color, white, black, yellow, red, and brown and then assigned each one of those groups characteristics, like being melancholy or being lively or enthusiastic. And that's, that's where our notions of race today come from. Although originally the word really just had to do with a, some sort of genetic connection. It comes from the, the Italian razia or stock. So as the Romans were spreading across the world and they would find a group of people who uh, had similar types of hair or, or similar sort of widths of nose, uh, they would say they were of the same rasia or race or whatever. Um, but that's what we would today call an ethnic group. But, but our notion of race today is really sort of an impossible one because what, what we've done is because it was invented during this time when, when people were very much invested in people believing that your race will determine either your intelligence or your laziness or your sexual aptitude or whatever, we still keep these really kind of false categories even to this day. And, and the point I make to my students is when you fill out the census form or a doctor's application and you check off one of those boxes, that's how they know that we keep ourselves separated into these groups because we do it voluntarily. But we, you never have to check out those boxes. There's no law that says you have to put yourself in one of those boxes. But we have been 
voluntarily dividing ourselves into groups that are false and loaded with social characterizations, but we're all brainwashed to do it, so we do it. Mm. I know that so, was a lot to drop on you, but it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot to I think about because I, I, it's hard to imagine a time when people didn't see race as a thing. It's very hard yeah. to think that people didn't say, oh, you know, they, they, they were just, we were just thought of in different categories, but not that one, you know? It wasn't that long ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, you would have been called a Mende or I would have been called a Joya or a crew or, so, or something like that. You know, we don't know, but we started, especially people of African descent, started just kind of lumping ourselves in these kind of racial catch-all categories, African-American or or colored or, or whatever, because we lost our ethnic distinctions. Um, but I, I just sort of make the claim that if we're gonna keep ourselves in these groups, we have to be aware of the stereotypes that they're loaded with and that we also are maintaining, or you know, or we should, you know, maybe sort of reanalyze how useful they are. Mm -hmm. So now that we have a history that has created cultures and ideas of ourselves about race and who we are, which has in turn sort of created societal dynamics based on that. Um, how do we, it feels to me that it, there is some importance to communicating with each other who have common experiences in growing up because of race as we've seen it now. So is there a way to communicate about it that doesn't perpetuate the negative things that are associated with those categories? So let me, let me tell you something that you, you kind of already know. Before, let's say the 1940s, 50s, particularly the 60s, whiteness and blackness in particular were loaded with either positive or negative aspects. And being white and being proud of your whiteness was something that people had always been, the mainstream in America, had always been proud of. And But pride in blackness has sort of taken a while to come. Originally, there wasn't a lot of pride in it. But over the, the New Negro movement and the Civil Rights movement, blackness has been transformed from something to be ashamed of to something to take pride in, and especially amongst black people. You know, we sort of come to a, a space where there's a lot of other people, we feel more comfortable, you know, we, we, we sort of, we, we, we share in that identity. But conversely, at the same time, whiteness has reversed as well. So that saying that you're proud of your whiteness has become a negative thing. And the reason that both racial groups can't take pride in their, in their race groups is because when they were both invented, they were invented to be the reverse of each other. When blackness and whiteness were invented, their blackness was invented to be low and whiteness invented to be high. So when black people in the Western world sort of arose up and, and fought for and achieved a high degree of equality, being proud of that white label became something that people didn't talk about, became sort of almost ashamed of. So what I'm, what I'm saying is this, this ability for black people to be proud of blackness an inability for whiteness to be proud, white people to be proud of whiteness creates racial contention and division. 
So we can, yes, I as a black person love being black and love uh, celebrating that as a part of my identity. But I'm saying that as if I do that, I have to be aware of what it causes among other people in my greater American cultural community. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me that there's a big difference between, or at least it's become a difference between being proud of blackness and being proud of whiteness because proud of whiteness now it, it seems to it takes on the sense of proud of whiteness because we it, it takes on believing in superiority necessarily it's exactly. not it's very different than being proud of an ethnic experience like i'm proud to be hungarian or irish or something like that so which, which proud is, of whiteness is yeah. So I'm saying that that was exactly sort of one of my ideas. People who identify as white getting more educated about their ethnic heritage, like their Hungarianness or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what do you think now about people identifying whiteness as it, and recognizing cultural blind spots that? have happened in our culture around because of whiteness being the um the baseline identity this is thing it's kind of the thing that is not seen or talked about right right i think that it's i mean it's to be expected i think it's fairly natural with with all of the 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 culture and mainstream and media mainstream media everywhere sort of always putting out stories and images and narratives, um, I think that it's very easy for white people to develop blind spots to to not see how their normalization um, excludes other people. I I think that it takes in our culture a degree of of intention, attentionality, being really like focused on um, uh, filtering a lot of those images out and narratives out and really kind of trying to look at all experience equally and all people equally. It takes concerted effort in our, in our culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, hmm. I, so I guess my question is <laughs> if, all right, I'll ask a different question. <laughs> it's a lot to think about, actually. Um, it's huge in our in our communities to sort of sort through some of these things. Well, one mm-hmm. of the things I'm thinking about is that um, some activists are very adamant that it's not our job to be teaching these things to white people at all. Right. You know, that I don't want to talk about it. Go read a book. Teach yourselves. Um, I guess my first question is how do you feel about that and if you ever do get tired of talking about certain things what how do you handle that well i believe that you should only talk about those issues in as much as it matters to you if if it matters to you then i believe that you can't complain about white people's ignorance if you never engage with them about it if it doesn't matter to you, then you know you're not going to be 
you know, sort of discussing it anyway. But if it, if it matters to you, I mean, I think that you should talk to all people because you have to realize that the, the, the racial and white sub supremacist ideas are not equally endemic in all white people, right? The, 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 the narrative of racial supremacy there's white people that have it in high degree and when some that have it in low degree. And there's black people that also have it in high degree and black people that have it in low degree. So you have to find out where someone's heart is, where someone's spirit is before you assume where they're coming from. Um, and, you know, I, but again, I think that, you know, if you, if you say I don't have to, to educate white people, then you, you're putting up that sort of barrier and, and, and assuming that they're going to be maybe antagonistic to what you have to say when for the most part most of them most people who identify as white want to be informed and they want to get along with people most of them you know so i it, so i so i will so i am able to complain about it i got a job as a teacher so now i can bitch but other people you know i don't think you can <laughs> I think that that's funny. Um, so, do you see a change in people's ideas when you talk about this and when you teach? Do you do you see a shift? No, people are very resistant <laughs> to to these wow. ideas. Um, I mean, even when I was explaining it to you, I could see sort of in your face, like, ah, oh, because the point I make is that we are so often. Um, assaulted with these ideas about our racial categories and and how we should identify ourselves so um i you know i completely understand but let me let me put something to you this way if you if you think about the ways that we identify ourselves you think about the police if the police needs to find someone who's a, a criminal right instead of saying I'm going to look for a, a black male or a Hispanic male or an Asian male. If they said, in, if they said instead a person uh, with black hair, brown eyes, light skin, medium skin, or dark skin. You put light, medium, and dark as your three categories of identification for all people, you'll get some white people some black people, some Asian people, but it'll be accurate. When you say black, you actually have skin color as dark as mine and as light as who? Steph Curry, right? Who, who still identifies himself as black. And same with white people. There never has been one space on the planet where all people shared the same skin color. The continent of Africa has been multicolored for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years. And same with Europe. We have this idea that black people come from this area and white people come from that area, but we've been conditioned to believe that way. When, when in fact, we all have many different sort of sizes of, of our nose and our lips and our hair texture. When we see a lot of times black people with, with thinner lips, we think they're an exception, but there's millions of them, you know? It, it's because we're all, all what we call races have more diversity inside of ourselves than we do between our big groups. That's, so it, it takes a lot for people to really kind of 
see it that way mathematically. But uh, you know, I'm I'm I got a job as a teacher, as I said before, so uh, so I don't have to go to get frustrated at in conversations at bars, you know, with people. I get my I get it all, seriously. I don't get frustrated with people, you know. I get all of my stuff out in the classroom. That's that's awesome. And <laughs> and I'm trying to wonder what you saw in my face. I think I I have my personal history is that the my inner experience um is different than what people expect of me and my um the things I want to talk about having to do with race feel very scary and dangerous. And I'm very, because people are so adamant about holding on to those categories and what they think you should be based on that. And so it's, it's, uh, it, it stirs up things in me to think about it and talk about it. And I love hearing your thoughts. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. So is there anything you want to talk about, about what you're teaching now or anything that's that's sort of um, on the feels foremost in our culture right now, just sort of what in the world? Well, I, I really want to um, get out the word about racial identification with the next census that's coming up. Um, I right now I have a there's an exhibit at the Museum of Science and History here in Jacksonville that I helped uh, put together called Legacy of Lynching, which um, is exploring the history of racial terror violence in the United States and in Jacksonville in particular. It's an initiative that was started in Montgomery, Alabama, the Equal Justice Initiative, where they are enlisting different cities to do research and do monuments to um, victims of racial terror and lynching. And so that exhibit's going to be up until March. And then I would like to, soon after it, maybe try to collaborate with the curator to put up an exhibit where people look at, again, the history of race and the history of American conditioning to see ourselves in racial categories. I didn't, I didn't even conceive of this idea. This is based on a book that I read and taught by Kenneth Pruitt called What is Your Race? And he worked for the US Census. And he talks about the different ways that politicians, er, Robin, if you read this book, politicians take the way that we put ourselves in racial categories and they manipulate their messages for the different groups and areas that we live in. They split up neighborhoods based on where we say we live. And then they tailor, mess they, they split up minority votes and then they tailor messages and inflame people to, oh man, they've been, you know, they've just been giving us the runaround all these years and we're, do, we're providing them the information. When it's useless information, they don't need it from medical records. You know, all of the, the ailments they say are connected to race or more connected to where your ancestral, where your people comes from, if they're equatorial areas or there, there are things that are cross race for every sort of group that you can look at medically. Um, it's just, so, so I, I, I want to continue to just continue to, 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 to educate people on why they identify themselves the way that they do. And if, however you do it, I'm not trying to really say get rid of blackness or whatever, just be conscious of what it is and be, and, and be 
available and a, to talk about it to other people. Uh, hopefully, you know, I guess if it would be great if people could sit down at the bar and have conversations like this about race and it not men they be black and white and it not be strange or weird because they both feel educated and articulate on the topic. Mm -hmm. So if, in your ideal world, rather than be counted according to race, just everyone should just not refuse to answer that question on this on the next census. Is that what you're saying? Well, I am saying that, yes. I'm saying that not because I have a problem with racial categories per se, but mm -hmm. because I don't appreciate being manipulated by politicians who exploit racial differences for their own for their own benefit. What they what they say to be is ours. But you know, they split up the congressional districts themselves. Right. They they, you know, they with gerrymand that's what redlining is. So I'm I'm you know, I'm more, I'm super Marxist, right? <laughs> so <laughs> this is less a racial thing and more a, a try to attempt to destabilize the capitalist system, but that's another conversation. For another. Yeah, <laughs> that is another conversation. And it is really, I, I, I always appreciate your ideas. They are out of the box and <laughs> it's always something to learn from you. Yeah, so. absolutely. Vice versa. Yeah, so thank you very much. Is there a way that people can uh, reach you, or get in touch with you? Website, email, anything you want to share? Sure. My email is david.jameson at ewc.edu. Jameson spelled with an A. And um, yeah, that's probably the best way to, to reach me for now. I'm building a, an online portfolio, but um, it's still in the embryonic stages as such <laughs> awesome well thanks so much david thank you robin that was so much fun hey robin renee here i am going to be performing on sunday october 20th at the ale and witch pub in new brunswick new jersey it's like a old home stomping ground show for me uh, that's at 246 Hamilton Street New Brunswick New Jersey it is an all-day thing celebrating their 45th anniversary um, and doors open at two o'clock I'll be sharing the stage with batting a thousand jigs bread and circus angular brothers trip dogs and 12 times Kevin so I hope that you can come check it out and as always I've got music for sale kind of everywhere around the web um please check me out at robinrenee.com and uh hope to see you soon well it is self-promotion month and i'm going to be promoting myself because we need to eat here um so i have <laughs> i have an etsy store uh it's called wendy cards with a z so that's w-e-n-d-y-c-a-r-d-z dot etsy.com uh where you can get these lovely uh, political postcards to mail to your, your people in Congress or wherever. Uh, I also have t-shirts and stickers and other things that I've made or drawn or designed. Um, and there's usually stuff goes up all the time. Um, I will be at the Rahway Artist Flea Market on November 2nd from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's at the Rahway Rec Center. 
if you're local, you'll know where that is. <laughs> and I will also be tabling with my friend D at PhilCon, which is the Philadelphia Area Science Fiction Convention on November 8th through 10th at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. If you guys are there, please stop by and say hi. I would love to talk to you. This is a new segment we're doing called Ikigai, uh, which is a Japanese word, which Google translates telling me, um, translates to English as reason to live. Oh, that's and, a good thing. Yeah. And there's a, there's been a Venn diagram floating around the internet for a few years um, explaining what Ikigai is. And we will post a version of it on our site so you can see it. And uh, the Venn diagram has four, and why are these, has four circles. And the four circles are what you love, what you are good at, what you can be paid for, and what the world needs. And Ikigai is the intersection of all four of those. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and I guess this segment is going to talk about how we could achieve that in our lives and also, you know, the, the kind of things that, that we do to make a living. And, uh, and I want to just say, I have managed to do three of those things. I have never gotten to the fourth. <laughs> what the world needs, you mean? Yeah, that or or what I can be paid for. So that's the third. That's the third. They <laughs> so feel like you can combine three, but not the fourth. Yeah, there's always one that's missing. I can't manage to do that to get the fourth one. I could get to three, but not the fourth one. Um, Say them again. What you love, what you love, and what you are good at. Uh, those that that intersection is what you would call passion and what you love and what the world needs would be a mission mm. and what you're good at and what you can be paid for is a profession mm. and what you can be paid for and what the world needs is a vocation. Okay. Wow. So. Yeah. I, it just seems like uh, I, I always get like only three out of four. Same here. That's what I mean. It's, yeah. it's really it's, hard to get that fourth one. Cause <laughs> you know, the thing is, is you might be good at something the world needs like, um, accounting people need to have their taxes done. So, but it's not necessarily something you love doing. I know I don't. <laughs> so never going to get there i'm just never going to match up i think and i guess i, I think i feel like <laughs> no uh, <laughs> no, oh. no you go you what go. do you feel like sorry what do you feel like um it's hard i think to s decide that something that you have to offer is something the world needs yeah, yeah. I was, that's exactly where I was going. <laughs> that's a challenge because I have made money as a musician. 
you know, and I've toured and I've done that you know, fairly well in my life. It's not what I'm doing most of right now. But, you know, so it's something that I love, something that I, I think I'm good at most, you know, in some yes, you respect. Are. Thank I, you. I will, I will acknowledge that you are good at music. Okay. <laughs> um, and I've gotten paid for it, you know, and so is it something the world needs? I mean, I feel like I can speak to things that are that have resonance and that have some importance in the world. Um, I don't know that I'm like, I've saved the world with a song. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but I right. do think that, that art is, has value and it has. Yeah. Sort of a... I think this is speaking to our personal insecurities because <laughs> no, I, I am yeah. completely serious about this because I, this is, I'm, I think, yeah, I can draw, I can do art, I can do music. But really, is this is this like something that's necessary for the world? And it's like I can't I can't get past that thinking that it's important, you know. Um, well, and maybe and and that's and I think that in in my case, it's it's uh, you know I think well, there's a, a million people who are artists, and there's you know all these other people who do music, and they actually and I and I've actually I've made when I was focusing very strongly on music i got it to be self-supporting to an extent but it could never it has never been able to support me like you know it didn't put food on the table it you know the albums paid for itself i got you know i didn't i didn't end up losing money unless i guess you you sit there and add up how much money i've spent on instruments maybe <laughs> well here here though now, my own personal feeling that uh, about being an artist, uh, which is something that I've thought about a lot because I consider myself an artist. I work with artists all the time, people who um, not just musicians or actors or designers and people like that, that you and if you were an artist, you do your art because you have to do your art. It's a personal thing. It's not because you think the world needs it, but you have to do it. That's the primary thing. You mean like you're driven to do it? So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, and you got uh, Vincent Van Gogh. You know, he did the art because he had to do it. He was driven to do it. He, the world didn't want his art at the time he was trying to sell it he had to die first and he died in poverty so oh that's a great example for us to follow <laughs> but i think just because he did not he did not achieve ikigai i'm sorry no he did not achieve ikigai yeah no. but i still feel like his work has a lot of value but it just took the world a while to figure that out you know but he in well, his yeah. lifetime didn't achieve that. Yeah, I agree, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 You know, the, uh, um, I, well, I've mentioned it on our past uh, episodes that I've been reading the biography of uh, Alexander Hamilton. And it's amazing to me what a genius he was and how prolific a writer he was. And he died in poverty. I mean, he he died in that duel and left his family destitute. And okay, that's why are we why are we talking about all of these great people who died in poverty? <laughs> I don't know. It's just taking it to its furthest uh, 
Well, yeah, and, but that's that's sort of not really, you know, I don't want to die in poverty. I don't either. <laughs> you know, um, I don't need to be rich. I would like to be well, I'm recording. Yeah, I I would like to be I would like to be able to do the things that I would like to do. Um, you know, just in general. Uh, and unfortunately, in our 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 environment of late stage capitalism, we need money to achieve that. Um, and I think it's possible to get to where you need where where you are are in the center of the of those four things and i mean we've all gotten th you know three of them and i think that is an accomplishment you know cuz there's a whole lot of people who are good at something that they don't love and that's the only thing that they can get paid to do right you know, that like i've never you know i i have to say i haven't ever really put a lot of energy into something that I I just couldn't stand to do. And I'm really grateful for that. Like, I know a lot of people do have jobs where they're just like, I just have to show up and do this thing. And fuck or, it, you or, know? Yeah, they have, where they have these jobs where they're, they're basically being abused for eight hours at a time. And, and I am thinking about pretty much every retail worker on the planet. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and, and when I go, when I do go out to shop, I try to be kind to the employees there because I know there's a lot of people that aren't. Um, so uh, that's something if you want to, if, if you want to make the world a better place, be nice to your retail workers. Let's make that a holiday. <laughs> Let's make I that a special day. I, I it should it be. It probably is. I hope so. Anyway, <laughs> I'll have to research that for, for our podcast to find out. Yeah, you know, retail worker appreciation week or month or something. It should be more than a day. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. I think. I think for in my case, it's thinking about what the world needs, because you see, the you know we're we're always presented with you know, the pictures of, you know, the natural disasters and the, and the food issues in certain regions of the world where there's famine or drought or, or something. And, or, or the fact that we are rapidly making this planet uninhabitable uh, for humans. And, and you think in terms of, of that, you know, the world needs a way to clean up the plastics out of the ocean and the world needs a way to get people who need healthcare, healthcare. And, and, you know, there's these huge social problems and all of this stuff. And that's kind of where my brain goes with what the world needs, you know? Um, but you, you did bring up a thing, Robin, a little while ago that, you know, that you didn't think you saved somebody with a song, but you can, you yeah. know? I, I had I had a fan tell me many years ago that that one of my songs saved their marriage, oh, which kind of blew cool. me away. <laughs> I, and to, I, to be honest, I have gotten messages like that too, not about a marriage in particular, but I mean, I did. I hear from people who say that they're that my music really moved them or got them through something, you know. Yeah. So that does matter. I I think um, I think what it is. And my hesitation about it is that it's so subjective, like a certain a sound and some lyrics can move 
particular people. And I think that that obviously, I mean, it does have value, you know, I think that's yeah. cool. But like, as you were thinking, <laughs> I was thinking in like these categories of like things that objectively the world needs, you know, and even if I don't tend to work in the environmental sector so much, but I am an activist and I create spaces for queer people and poly people to exist happily and comfortably and, <laughs> and have conversation and have, um, have discourse about issues that are important for people who are marginalized, you know, yes, and I think that's, what's that? Is that one of those three? That That is an, an amazing thing. And it's definitely something the world needs. But I have to ask you, are you getting paid for that? Yeah. Okay, well, that was my you, point. That was my point. How can you monetize I the, that? I didn't get to my point. Wait a I'm minute. Sorry. <laughs> um, so what, what I'm saying is that I, I think more along those lines in terms of that's, oh, that's something the world needs. You know what I mean? Whereas I, I guess I was thinking less about a particular experience three minute artistic expression being something the world needs because it's less obvious somehow, but I do think it has value also. Now mm -hmm. to what your point, um, I, I'm trying to think, I mean, I have been paid to be an artist in activist spaces. I think that's more what happens for me. Okay. Um, but of all the people I know, and I was just thinking about this, I think Robin Oaks might have this down with all four. Ah, let's be jealous of her now. I'm just incredibly <laughs> in awe of her, actually. And, and yeah, we did have a great two-part uh, two interview with her uh, just a couple shows ago. And I feel like she loves what she does as a, as a bi activist and is amazing at it and gets paid for it to oh, travel wow. around the world and do this thing, you know? So she's got it. I think she's got it. I, I You know, I mean, I, I didn't ask her that specific question but it's inspiring actually you know and i do know some folks that that do that um but i think you're right about expanding the our understanding of what the world needs um can yeah. be helpful in this equation too because it's easy to um nix yourself out of the equation by by our own you know lack of confidence or something mm -hmm. yeah or yeah i i completely we we tend to dismiss our own work Mm -hmm. It could just be because, you know, we know what went into it <laughs> and it's like, or, or we can see all of the flaws in it. Yeah. You know? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that for myself as an artist, that even if I say, oh, what I do, the world doesn't need deep down inside, I do think the world needs it. Well, that's nice. I yeah. deep down inside, I have the opposite feeling. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I I guess that's something I need to work on. Uh, yeah, I, I and I don't I don't know if it's if it's tied up in um in well like it has to be tied up in ego in some way um, where where I feel that I'm not as important as you know, so why whatever I'm doing isn't as important as what other people are doing, you know. Mm. But you do have something to say. <laughs> well, at least I talk a lot. <laughs> but, and that just proves it, that you have something to say, but one of the ways you're saying it is with your art. Yeah, I guess. I you guess. are. And, uh, you know, and this, I think this podcast is something that I want to continue growing because it does it really does speak to 
an important nexus, I think, of people who are thinking about politics and are living full lives in other kind in all other, other sectors too, you know. Mm. So we're okay. not just spouting our political opinions, we're learning and we're growing and trying to help in the best ways that we can. Yes, and, and we're trying to fill in that fourth that fourth circle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the podcast. I think that's valid. I think that's valid. Absolutely.